Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by my fellow friars, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Father Peter Toddlebin. Let's begin today with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray pray for for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're going to speak about storytelling as as something that is done by Christ, as something that he perfects, as something that moves the heart, and as something that that we can also um, practice ourselves in the right way. As we know, um, we have no extant, actually, actual writings from Christ himself. We have his words recorded by the evangelists, um, but we don't have actual texts written by him. Uh, and so his communication that we have, even though it's written in the Bible, was at first given orally. He spoke it. He spoke these words. He told stories. He told parables. Um, he gave um, encouragement and uh, teaching to to large groups of people in all kinds of different settings. But as far as we know, uh, we don't have anything that he actually wrote down. And so... Um, Father Hayes, I know you were just watching uh, a program about storytelling, so maybe you could start us off by by telling us why it's significant that Christ um, spoke orally rather than in a written form. Well, I think it's uh, it's one of those things that I've known this in the back of my brain for years and years, but never actually thought about it in the front of the brain for until mm-hmm. recently. As a matter of fact, um, we have you know, as you know, we, one of the things we've been looking at is online courses during this period of COVID. And one course that we have available in our subscription is a course on professional storytelling. Now, I, in my, my medieval hobby, um, I do a certain amount of bardic stuff, so songs and recitations and poems. And as so this is why I, I picked this up, and I said maybe I'll have something for preaching as well because that's my other job. Uh, and... As I'm listening to the professor talk about the shape of preaching, it, it, it hit me uh, that, oh my heavens, Jesus didn't write any of his stuff down. Everything he does, everything he does is the kind of thing we're talking about. He's reciting scripture, he's applying it, he's talking about it, he's constantly preaching. This is what preaching is. Mm-hmm. It's an experience of the spoken word, even though we have it preserved in the text of Holy Scripture. But he himself famously wrote nothing. Now, there's a story in Eusebius, the first historian of the church, that he wrote a letter sort of telling the king of Edessa that he couldn't come to go heal his leprosy right now, but he would send an apostle after his resurrection, which would be an amazing letter if we actually had it currently. Interestingly enough, he sent St. Jude with the image of Jesus, which is why St. Jude always has that image of the, right. the medal of Christ over his heart. I always wondered what that was for. So I looked it up one day, and it's the story about it, Jesus sending someone to the kingdom of And there's of a tradition that that actually might have been the, 
the face on the Holy Shroud. Yeah. But that's another discussion. That's a we're different, not, that's we're a different episode. <laughs> storytelling. Okay, we're telling the stories here. <laughs> well, that's and a story. Are, one of the things about storytelling is it's additive. And just as here, as I tell the story of my morning watching this, you know, uh, we, we work with the crowd we have where uh, you adapt what you say to the specific pattern of what your listeners are doing. And it struck me that this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Now, why does he use this form? Why not publish a book? Why not turn out a treatise like Thomas Aquinas or even, you know, the Dialogues of Plato? And I think because because what he's interested in is engaging the hearts. And this is what you have to do when you do an oral presentation. I know when I've recited Beowulf to a to an audience or when I do some you know, heroic poem out of the Irish tradition. "'Twas a day full of woe for all Ulster, when Connor MacNessa went forth to punish the clansmen of Connet who dared to take spoil from the north." Whenever you do that, <laughs> whenever you do that, you have to work the crowd. You know, I have to look at my listeners. I have to see where the mead bowl is as it's being passed around. <laughs> I, have to, I have to gather eyes, as the old poet said. You know, and work the crowd and adapt my story, perhaps, to the needs and, and specifics of the crowd. You know, you tell the same story, but sometimes, unless it's metered like that last poem, uh, it, it becomes something where you work in details that will, will work with the individual crowd that you've got. And some words that you may have used at another presentation, you don't use at this one. We have examples of this, actually, in the Scripture, where in parallel citations, our Lord does not always use the exact words. You know, we have something, you know, and then sometimes in the stories the details are a little different. Is it one or two demoniacs, or are we talking about two different situations? You know, the other thing, of course, is when I do storytelling, you know, I'm talking, I talk to a lot about different audiences, but I'm often telling the same stories, but they're not told the same way, exactly. I might use different words to convey my message. If I teach people to pray, I mean, when Jesus teaches people to pray, you see this. We have one version of the Our Father in Matthew and another version of it in Luke. You know, is one wrong? I don't think you can say that. They're both canonical scripture. I think what we have underneath is a pattern of praying and teaching, and uh, which Jesus gives us as, a, as a one who works with the spoken word, because this word engages the heart. This is the thing about stories. They engage you. And it works both ways. The audience shapes the way you tell the story. The story shapes the audience. Because all of a sudden, those images and experiences and emotions that are in my mind become yours. Well, there's a kind of there's a there's a kind of Thomistic point in this, um, in the sense that Thomas. Well, there always is, right? Because it's just simply the truth. Um, But you know, Thomas is always big on this idea that all knowledge begins in the senses, Mm -hmm. and 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 not only does all knowledge begin in the senses, but it also ends in the senses. Like to even think properly about concepts, you need to to think along with sensible images, according to Thomas Aquinas. And it's 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 precisely why you know I mean storytelling. Everything you're seeing about storytelling is precisely why people like history class better than math class. And why, like, it's only a, a, a fraction of human beings who like math class better than history class. It's precisely because you're being engaged emotionally. You're being engaged with particulars, right? And, and, and storytelling actually does that to you, right? I mean, Jesus could have, um, Jesus could have gotten up, you know, cl- ascended the mountain 
and, you know, sat down to teach the crowds. And he could have listed theorems about God and God's nature and God's plan for us. But it turns out that like a list of theorems with their accompanying proofs draws people in less. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, the heart doesn't thrill. I mean, my heart thrills, but for other people, Mm -hmm. you know, their hearts don't thrill at the thought of endless theorems with their accompanying proofs, you know? Right. I mean, the young priest who gets up and gives a bunch of syllogisms from his, oh, Trinity class, Mm. uh, is probably going to be less well-received than if he tells the story about the angel who, in the form of a child, who appeared St. Augustine, while Augustine was meditating on the Trinity, and then trying to, you know, and uh, child... You know, Augustine says, what, what are you doing, child? He says, I'm trying to put the ocean in this bucket. He says, you'll never put the ocean in this bucket. And the angel qua child says, and do you think, you know, that you will ever be able to contain the truth of the Trinity in your little mind? You can talk about that. So, so I mean, again, mm-hmm. again, on these kind of Thomistic points, you know, um, because, again, St. Thomas just is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing he does is he goes through the whole life of Christ. And the Summa Theologiae, Part of what he does when he talks about Jesus, and it's, it's, it's unique and it's innovative for his time, is he actually goes through the life of Christ and he asks all these questions. And it's just fascinating to read because like, he raises all of these points about the Bible and just detailed questions, just this detailed biblical theology about asking different things. And, and he clarifies aspects of the gospel that like, you kind of wondered, but you never form an explicit question about it. And he act- actually asked this question, like, why didn't Jesus write any of this down? Why did he only preach uh, verbally? Right? And so, St. Thomas says, well, well, there's there's kind of three reasons. And the first reason is is very much the reason that you've been giving all along. Like, the idea is, is that preaching, verbal communication strikes the heart. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus, because he spoke was able to engage the hearts of the listeners, right? Then the second, he says, is, well, because not only that, but um, if Jesus just sort of like took all of his doctrines and wrote them all down, he's kind of riffing on the theme of the end of John's gospel. It says, if, if, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did in its full significance and everything that it meant, all of the books of the world couldn't contain it. Well, that's because stories have this wonderful capacity of working at multiple levels, you know, um, um, you're never done with a good story, with good literature. You're never done with it. Uh, and this is true all over the Bible, right? I mean, the story of creation, right? You can tell that to a little child. You know, the two stories of, of creation at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3. You can tell that to a little child, you know, with the, you know, the Garden of Eden and the snake and the six days and all of that. Uh, but like you never get done thinking about what that story means. You can always keep going back to it. And that's sort of the mark of the great, great literature. It's the same thing with Jesus's parables and stories. Um, you know, a lot of Jesus, well, not all of them, but a lot of Jesus's parables and stories. I mean, a child can engage with the message, but then the more and more you start to engage with it and what it means and its implications, uh, you actually uh, never get done with it. Right. The audience always brings their own experience, right. their own capacities, their own talents right. to the appreciation of what's being told. And, and so, and so it, would, it would literally be the case that if Jesus wrote down everything that was contained in his parables, it literally would go on and on and on and on and on and on forever because it would be all of these things that people are drawing out of them. And what it wouldn't be is a living encounter. And that's the third reason that Thomas brings yeah. up. 
right? It's that it's that Jesus sends his apostles, and you know Jesus preaches to his apostles, and he wins their hearts. And then, but Jesus' apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with you know Jesus's own spirit, and so they're able to preach and 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 win hearts in the same way. You know, uh, the church. You know, this is why. Um, obviously, you know, obviously we need catechisms and systematizations of doctrine. We need catechesis, but this is why Jesus didn't just write down a catechism and be done with it. It's why, as a church now, we didn't just write down a catechism and be done with it. Right? I mean, we have the technical capacity to write down a catechism of Christian doctrine and uh, just do that and give everybody a copy of that and say, here, read this every Sunday. We're not going to preach anymore. But uh, we don't do that. Instead, we proclaim the word and preach on it. Mm-hmm. There's also allied with this notion of the preaching is the witness, mm-hmm. notion of witness, which is not restricted to the sacred minister like mm-hmm. sacred preaching is. You know, that when you, when you try to explain uh, the faith to someone else – the use of the story, not only Christ's stories, but one's own wrestling with that story, yeah. that in, one's own encounter with Christ, that becomes something that's powerful and unable to be dismissed. Right. It's what makes you a witness. Right. right. It's, 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 it's wrestling, right? Like the way that you become a Christian is you receive the grace and illumination and you wrestle with the revelation. And it's the very wrestling with the revelation that's the spiritual discipline. The early Christian scholar Origen, when he was talking about reading the Bible, talked about this. Like it's it's the very fact of taking on the difficult portion of the Bible and kind of wrestling with it and seeing the insight that's there. And that's what makes you a witness because because I brought my own wrestling with the text to the Bible, it means that I can explain the gospel uh, according to my own particular characteristic. And that particular characteristic might just be the thing that everybody else needs to hear. I mean, there might be one, uh, like one other person in the church for whom, you know, Peter Tottlebin's, uh, you know, you know, appropriation of the gospel helps, but it might be just the one that nobody else could give them. It might unlock the key in a way that nobody else could. And that's, that's true of any other, not just priest who preaches formally, but any other witness. It's for, you know, every Christian believer to wrestle with the stories of Jesus, which makes them a witness because every Christian believer who's wrestled with the stories of the master, who's become a disciple and a disciple literally means one who learns, who's wrestled with the teachings of the master can then go out and explicate the teachings of the master, but according to their own personal characteristic. And that's, that's everybody in this audience. There's a person perhaps in this world who needs the gospel explained to them in the way that only you can explain it because it's the fruit of your own personal wrestling. And like, they can listen to me blab on all they want, but they're just never going to be converted. Um, because, because like, I just, I, it just, it just doesn't, it rings hollow for them. They need what you can bring them and you're the one that can convert them. You're listening to the Dominican dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by my brothers, uh, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Father Peter Tolliban. We've been discussing uh, storytelling uh, as done by Jesus and why it's significant that he spoke rather than wrote um, the words that have saved us. And we were just talking about um, how it's not only the, the speaking of the, the one telling the story or, 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 or presenting the gospel um, that can adjust it to the mind or, or the situation of the audience, 
But even the person in the audience, him or herself, in wrestling with that word and plugging it into their own experience, um, that that story, in a sense, changes again. I mean, the essence is the same, but yeah. the application is different. We've all had experiences as preachers when we've, we've, we've preached a homily, and then someone says, oh, Father, that was great, but you said about such and such, like, huh? I don't think I talked about such and such. Sure. But but in their mind, that's that's where it struck home. Sometimes that's I think the words, Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit. A yeah, thing. yeah. But and there sometimes, is this. And sometimes what they come up, what, what how it hit them is better than. Sure. I th- I think I preached it. And one of the things about storytelling is that stories, uh, once told, become part of you. If it's memorable, if it's something you've engaged with, mm. it then becomes part of your life. So we're mm-hmm. talking about God's story. When we're talking about the scriptures, when we're talking about Jesus is saying, we're talking about um, the son who came into the world to reveal the father. We're talking about the bard of the father, the father's great poet who now engages us and makes us part of his father's story. And as we receive this, then we're able to share that story with others. One of the things about storytelling is it's shaped by action. You know, we don't, in a lot of, in stories, we generally don't talk about, except on the side, the thinking, uh, the internal thought. What we, what we see is action. You know, what does a person say? What does a person do? We don't worry about too much what they're thinking, because what they're thinking is demonstrated in the story by their words and their deeds. And, and so, um, as whatever is, uh, this, uh, whatever the story is, however simple, whatever the genre is, well, I mean, we've got fable, we've got folk tales, we've got legends, we've got um, we've got personal experience, we've got uh, historical narratives, we've got all kinds of things, first person narratives, you know, oral histories, uh, which are can be very but powerfully engaging. You know, where you open up, a, a, you know, not only the story itself but one's own participation in it. You know, as the storyteller is moved by. Uh, and feels the emotions that he's already, he or she has already wrestled with in, in hearing the story themselves, learning the story, preparing it for presentation. Now those get communicated and become part of uh, the minds and hearts and souls of the heroes who then can share it according to their ability in, in their own way. I like the idea that you brought up about how stories become a part of you because I think it, 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 share, it, it gives this idea of um, – the ecclesi- it is the ecclesiastical nature. The church is a family. It's not a political party with a program. Right. So it's like a political party has a platform with theses in it. You know, there's a five-year plan or there's platforms that we believe in. Uh, but how do you become part of a family? Well, you become part of a family by appropriating the stories of the family. Right. You become a part of the community because their stories are mm-hmm. your stories. Right? That's how you know you belong. Right, and so so there's this very real process where whereby our reading and studying the gospel and going over the stories of Jesus, like that's what makes us part of the family. Those stories become more and more our stories, and they become more and more a part of us. So like that, I act right. Like I can know theorem, like I can know theorems, right. um, but not necessarily act. Don't I, I mean? I hope people know the theorems and the doctrines of the faith and act according to them. But like I can know theorems and not act according to them. But, like, if a story is a part of me, it just becomes part of how I act. I act in an ecclesial way, a truly Christian way. Actually, the point you make is good because, uh, uh, because the theorems are abstractions. 
yeah. by necessity, whereas stories are always concrete. Mm-hmm. You know, and they become, as you say, you know, this knowledge begins and ends in the senses. This is where then you continue to work mm-hmm. the the stories in the field of your own person, mm-hmm. experience, your own mind, body, and soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the theorems are useful to summarize what you're doing. Yeah. But to feel through them, yeah. to work through them, to wrestle with them, that has to be gun- done in the course of the narrative of some kind of narrative, of the narrative of uh, of the narrative of Israel, the narrative of my own religious conversion to God, whatever that is, the uh, experience I had within Holy Church, good and bad, because mm-hmm. we're a family. You know, and one of the things you also marked is stories also mark delineations. Some stories we don't tell outside the family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which, which, which adds a part of, of, of Jesus' teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus always kind of says there's sort of two parts of my teaching. There's an exoteric and an esoteric. You know, um, I speak to them and I speak to them in parables. Mm-hmm. Right? I speak to them in parables, but to you, I explain everything plainly. Right? Right? You know, you know, I show you how the stories become a part, and um, and I think that's I think that's interesting because like there's a I don't mind I, I hope you don't mind I, there's just a pet peeve whenever you come to this topic that I have mm-hmm. that I like to point out to people because like because it was it was just like I, I just think of all the errors that I was taught when I was taught the faith mm-hmm. catechesis and there's this one error that we're always given where it says oh you know Jesus you know used you know simple stories in everyday language because his doctrines are just really very simple right he has, mm-hmm. he has simple teachings and so they use simple imagery so that everybody could get his simple and basic message of you know loving each other and inclusion and this is false Right, I mean, this is the the reason why they're it's called nineteenth century liberal. Right, heresy. Yeah, this the reason why they're called parables is because they're parabolic. Right, I mean, right. they're not they're not supposed to make sense, and and this is actually true. Like, right, so if you read Jesus, if you read actually the stories of Jesus, and you actually read them carefully, at one level, like if you read them at like sort of a naive level, they kind of make sense. But if you read them carefully, most of the parables don't actually make any sense. Um, in a so, conventional like, way. And it, yeah, oh, he's, Jesus is the Logos, so I mean, you know, ultimately they make, they have to make sense. But, you know, if you just, just to read them, like Jesus says these things like, which among you, which among you, having a hundred sheep and seeing that one was lost, wouldn't leave the 99 and go out and seek the one lost sheep? I'm the good shepherd precisely because I leave the 99 sheep to their own devices and go look out for the one lost sheep. Wait a second. You know, like like when you're reading this story, you're supposed to kind of be like, wait a second. What's going on here, actually? You know what I mean? Like, because a good shepherd actually would probably cut his losses. I mean, he, he, a really good shepherd would never lose the... Right, so first of all, a really good shepherd would never lose one in the first place. But Jesus mm-hmm. is the good shepherd, even though he loses a sheep. Wait, And then, having lost a sheep, a good shepherd... I mean, even a good shepherd messes up occasionally, I suppose... Um, I don't know how God does, but a good shepherd. Okay, but then he goes after the one and like lets the ninety nine just this this parable doesn't make any sense. And the whole point is is that then you're this is where this theme of wrestling comes in because there's all these levels. There's this yeah. wrestling. You can never like like a straight fact like three times seven equals twenty one. I can mm-hmm. just sort of learn that and put it in the back of my head. I don't think about the multiplication tables. Right. But like once you start re- once you notice that about the parable, you're just like, wait a second, that doesn't make it. You, you have to kind of keep thinking it out. Do you think God says that I am like you? Yeah, right. And well, and it's it's it, you, you can see this for I, even. I will not cut my losses. Yeah. I will seek you out. Yeah. I will love you. 
or or even like or even like you know the prodigal son you're like we we you know you know not only does the elder son raise some valid points you know not only does he raise some mm-hmm. valid points but also like how is this actually working out financially you know like mm-hmm. after they kill the fe- like this actually kind of doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and like what's this about? but but that's the whole point it's to invite you into a relationship because god reveals himself to us in a literary mode uh, an oral mode that gets written down in a literary way precisely because we're supposed to have a living ongoing relationship with right. him. We're not supposed to have a relationship like, like with the multiplication tables or something. I think as we conclude this uh, session, it's important to make one point. If you're going to tell stories, especially God stories, tell them correctly. Oh, yeah. Okay, because, you know, one of the things that I have peeved, one of my peeves is, you know, you'll hear part of the story or we give the what we give the story that we heard as little kids before we were allowed to read those other parts of the Bible. You know, like there's Noah's Ark, but he gets off the Ark, and then there's this whole business about getting drunk after offering sacrifice. And that's an integral part of this story, too. It's about the, in one sense, the whole business is the whole business of the Ark is futile because even in the hearts of the so called just, the canker of sin starts up. So you have to get, if you're going to tell the stories, Make sure you know them, which means check them out, read them, put them in your heart, and wrestle right. with him who gave them. Right. And and, and, not, and so often, as you said, our, those stories become part of our own story. I mean, many people when they're – and I think that's a great way to share the faith with another person. Don't just hand them a book. I mean, some people would love a book if you hand it to them. And some books mm-hmm. actually contain stories. But if you say, like, this is why I'm a Catholic. This is why I believe what I do. This is how it happened. There's a beginning, a middle, and it comes up to the present, you know, and there's an ending. And and, and, and sometimes our story incorporates, we incorporate, like, I feel like, well, I feel like I felt like the lost sheep at this point in my life, you know, or I felt like the prodigal son at this point in my life. And that speaks to me powerfully, you know, about, so so we become, we, we're, we're, we come into that story, and it's something that we can we can incorporate in, into our witness to others. And be changed. Mm-hmm. You know, as Anthony of the Desert was, as Francis of Assisi, as Augustine of Hippo was, changed by the hearing and wrestling with the living Word of God. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by Father Peter Tottleman and Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's end now in our prayer to St. Dominic. O light, light of the, the church, church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Then he